0: Welcome to the podcast of Faith Community Fellowship in Ellsworth, Maine. I'm Pastor Todd, and I'm I'm here today with uh, my friend and one of our elders, Craig Cousins. And uh, this is a special episode of our podcast. Typically, our podcast consists of uh, the Sunday morning teaching. And uh, Craig and I were talking a few weeks ago about how we'd like to have a little conversation and and share it with you about um, small groups. So, that's the topic of our discussion today, and I uh, hope that this is helpful for you as you listen, and uh, we really would welcome your, your feedback. So um, we're uh, just going to kind of see where this goes, and Craig's got some questions for me, and I'm going to try to answer them, and if I can't answer them, I'll turn them back on him. So, <laughs> hi, Craig. Hello. All right, let's get, uh, let's get started whenever you're ready.
1: Okay. Thank you for having me today, Todd. I yeah, appreciate it. I'm glad we're getting to do this. Yes, it's going to be fun. So um, how do you define small groups like we do here at uh, Faith Community?
0: Well, I feel like uh, for us in our context, it's, it's a fairly uh, open definition. For me, it's just an intentional gathering. For me, I say 4 to 12 people because that's where I believe the dynamic works best. So I'd say an intentional gathering of 4 to 12 people for the purpose of biblical community. Um, I think it takes a lot of different forms. It can take the form of a Bible study or a book study or a series that you're doing for a short time. It can be a women's group, a men's group, young adults, parents, all those things. For me, in the way I, when I talk about small groups at faith community, all those things fit under that umbrella. For me, it's a, really about intentionality. That's the critical part of it for me. So regular meetings, that yeah. part of it? Yeah, I feel like you have to meet I mean, for me, I feel like I need to meet a couple times a month to really begin to establish community. Maybe depending on the purpose of, our, of the group, once a month is probably okay. Um, but that would probably be, that'd be minimal if you're going to achieve any kind of community. So what is your vision for small groups? Here? That's, um, well, I'll put it this way. Actually, I've said this before and I keep saying it because this is kind of how I, if I had the power. To press a button and make one thing true of our church, one thing in the life of our church that would be true of us at all times would be that every person who calls Faith Community their church home, that they'd be connected in at least one small group environment. So, so for me, my the vision as a pastor at this church is 100% engagement um, in small groups. Um, and, you know I honestly feel like just being involved in a small group isn't even really enough because I want to see those small groups flourishing and, and relationally and spiritually and emotionally healthy in living out the New testament one another's and we've talked about those for 20 plus years at our church uh, the t- to love and be loved to know and be known to serve and be served so my vision is for everyone who calls faith community their home to experience that in a small group okay so what role does small group play now? <laughs> not um, not the role that I would like it to play, put it that way, and I'm guessing we'll probably talk about how we got here, but it doesn't play as big a role as I'd like and we're changing that this year. And we've talked about it beginning of each of the last two years and we haven't, we've, we've gained a little traction but not nearly on the scale that I want to, so um, I'm just still convinced that we will only go so far in our mission as a church to lead people uh, to become followers of Jesus and into a growing relationship with Jesus. I think we only go um, as far in that process as we have uh, achieved biblical community. So in other words, um, when the extent of of our experience in church is uh, the large group gathering on Sunday morning. I don't think we're going as deep as we want to go when it comes to making disciples. Um, And I mean, I I love Sunday morning. I've put a lot of effort and energy and preparation and we put money into it and and it's our front door and it's all, it's important. Um, But I don't think it's enough. Um, So as far as the role that it ought or that it's playing right now, Um, it's not nearly the priority it should be. Exactly,
1: so. so that's good as a church as a whole, but as an individual, what can small groups do for
0: somebody? Um, how about, well, do you want me to talk hypothetical, or you want me to talk about, for me? Um, <laughs> yes. Okay, <laughs> um, we say this all the time, in that when you need connection, when you need community, is not the time to start building it, right? Absolutely. So um, sometimes in life the the wheels fall off, and uh, you need people. Mm-hmm. I think small groups a place to build that connection and that real biblical community. That this thirty second com- or thirty second conversation over coffee in the lobby before church mm-hmm. is not community it's nice to reconnect on some level, you know, on Sunday morning, but my vision is that it goes a whole lot deeper than that for the purpose of supporting one another, um, to serve one another. Sometimes we can't serve one another because we don't even know what's going on in one another's lives. And it's hard to do a small group, in a, you know, do life in a healthy small group environment and not know what's going on in one another's lives. You know. Because you know you're going to care and you're going to be engaged. So so um, those Deeper friendships, mm-hmm. so to speak,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, can that lead to accountability? Absolutely, can. Now, it doesn't all? It's not automatic, right. Right? right? right. So, here's the thing about accountability: you have to invite it, right? <laughs> so, you have to. If you're in an environment, uh, that small environment where there's um, a comfortability level mm-hmm. and a trust. Authenticity, huh? Trust is big. Yeah, and that doesn't come automatically. Right. It's not week one hey, we're going to have a small group, and part of it's going to be accountability. Go.
1: Duh. Right? One of the uh, main themes that I present as a leader is that um, for us to be able to open up, that trust has got to be there. And what is said within the confines of that small group Mm -hmm. doesn't go out on Facebook the next day.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah, and um, and not only the confidentiality issue, but there's also the the non-judgmental response. Mm-hmm. You know, that's right. really important too. And and it's interesting because um, I know even in in the large group setting on Sunday morning, if I make a statement from the podium, mm-hmm. it can be if there's 150 people in the room, it can be interpreted 150 different ways. So it can come across as judgmental.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Even if my heart is not intending that. But who's gonna call me on that? Who's gonna ask me for clarity? There's not going to. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the small group, you get to share something about yourself. I think these are people that you're doing life with and you know them and you know that there's no judgment coming back at you, so. There's a couple other comments that I wrote
1: down here uh, about positives uh, in the church and, and individually. Uh, one of them is uh, character change can happen best in the content
0: tense of a small community. Oh, oh, no doubt. no I mean, that's isn't that the really like we talk about biblical community being the goal of a small group, mm-hmm. but it's really not the end. It's the means to the end. Community is the means to a life transformed by Jesus. so, yeah, we've for years we've said small group happens. or life change happens the best in a small group, and it happens at a deep level. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think. Um, well, personal discovery can happen in small
1: groups. In other words, the, the the change that we're looking for, you can learn, you can ask questions. That's it. You can get their, your questions answered. Yeah. You can involve yourselves in the lives of others, uh, and you can uh, make yourself. Uh, vulnerable, which is part of the accountability part, to the people that you're comfortable with and trust?
0: Yeah, uh, <laughs> you can come to church, even in church our size, you can come on Sunday morning and be as anonymous as you want to be, mm-hmm. right? You come in at the last minute, you can sit somewhere where no one's going to interact with you, and you can leave before the last song's done, and there's there's no transparency. Mm-hmm. It's hard to do that when you're sitting around a living room with ten people. For some people that might be a scary
1: proposition. Absolutely it is. And uh, so um, that's where part of the leadership needs to make, and the host, uh, needs to make uh, everybody feel just as comfortable as possible. And that kind of uh, accountability, like you said, just doesn't happen the first night. Uh -uh. Uh-uh. The group that I'm leading right now has been almost a year. Yeah, uh, meeting every Tuesday night. Yeah, and uh, it's it's been a it's been a while before we could really open up to each other, and and it's been the last uh, month or so of hmm. different situations that that have come up, and uh, I've made myself vulnerable hmm. in several times, which has has comforted the other people absolutely not,
0: absolutely. And, uh, so yeah, that that's very important. Let me ask you before you, because we're talking about um, <clears throat> the idea of that kind of intimacy being a scary idea to people. Mm-hmm. You and I are a long ways kind of down this path of doing life in small groups, but think way, way back. I mean, I'm talking way back, okay? <laughs> Prehistoric times for us. <laughs> um, was that ever a concern for you, the idea of doing small group of people where I might have, they might have to know me as I am and it might get real? Was that ever a uh, concern Actually, of yours?
1: God made me in a way that I'm sort of numb <laughs> in that
0: kind of area. So no, interesting. I'm pr-
1: you know, interesting. Yeah. I'm pretty much open. Yeah. It doesn't, you know... It, it matters what you think about me, but it doesn't matter. I don't yeah, know yeah. if that makes sense. No, it doesn't. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I, I've always approached life that my mistakes and my, my flaws and my areas where I need improvement and going through those kind of things will help the next person. And if I'm not open to that, then they can't see what... They, their possible solution to their problems that's awesome. on their lives. That's great. Uh, now my wife, on the other hand, hmm. is very uh, uh, introverted mm-hmm. and uh, it takes her quite a while to, mm-hmm. to open up her, even even being married to her 30, almost 35 years now, mm-hmm. she f- still finds it
0: difficult sometimes to open mm-hmm. up to me. So I think it's important to acknowledge that that fear is real. Definitely, It's a real hurdle for some people where we're like champions of that vulnerability. Mm -hmm. We're like, yes, get in there and just like, Mm -hmm. and um, easier said than done for most people, honestly, you know, and maybe we've been doing this so long that we have forgotten what it was like in the early days Mm -hmm. to even kind of peel some of those layers off and let some people in. But um, you mentioned too about the idea of like asking questions and having questions answered well, if we're talking about a topic or a right. book of the Bible or a theological mm-hmm. concept or, or something about life for that matter. What the, what's you know, God's desire for me in this area of my life? And uh, like Teaching on Sunday mornings, it's hard to know sometimes what the majority of the people in the room need to hear on that day. Mm-hmm. Um, the beauty of small group is that even as a small group leader, if you have a plan for a lesson, but the questions take it somewhere else, we can go somewhere else. Oh, definitely. Right? You lead, lead by the Holy Spirit. Right. And, and uh, sometimes those are the most uh, just affirming times in a group. It's like, this is why we're doing this. So mm-hmm. we can kind of um, speak the needs as they present themselves. And... Uh, so I think that's really important because that doesn't—it ha- can't happen in a Sunday morning environment, even in a church our size, where people can just put their hands up and ask questions or make comments or take us off task. It just isn't the approach we've chosen to use. But um, yeah.
1: Okay, so we've talked a little bit about leadership. Yeah. What does it take to
0: be a leader of a small group? Um, I don't know it. Uh, I wish I knew the answer to that. <laughs> because I'm kind of pointing people all the time and in that direction and uh, maybe I undersell it sometimes. Uh, Can I I answer a question you haven't asked first before we go to leadership? Go for it. Because you have hinted, you you made a reference (laughs) to um, the responsibility of a host of a group Mm -hmm. in creating an environment where people feel comfortable and welcome. So... Um, I think a host and a leader have to work hand in hand in a small group. And it could be the same people, right? right? A lot of times it is. But if w- one family is hosting and another fam- or someone else is leading, um, I think first of all, for the host, they just have to have a desire to facilitate an environment where mm-hmm. biblical community, like we we're talking about, can flourish, where it has a potential to flourish, mm-hmm. um, and to become better at that. I think we even the most hospitable among us can be better than we are today in hospitality. Uh-huh. I do think it's a skill that can be learned. It's it's a gift for some, my wife has a gift of hospitality. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about it. She she makes people comfortable in our home. Um, I've had to learn it. And so I think it's a skill that can be learned if it's mm-hmm. not your gift. So um, I think you can learn on purpose. Um, and I think the idea of just creating that space where people come in and feel welcome, mm-hmm. um, where it's obvious you're expecting them, where you are excited to have them here, you're, it's not a burden to you, um, but where people that, are okay being themselves. On that
1: point of being a burden, you don't have to uh, uh, have elaborate meals or nope. elaborate anything, just nope. a bottle of water. I know, for them. I know.
0: A, don't have to go all out. Yes, and, and, you don't uh, have to eliminate all the clutter and every speck of dust no. and all that. It doesn't, you don't have to have magazine cover quality homes, you know what I mean? Mm, It doesn't have to be any of that. And sometimes we uh, have this idea, we've looked at stock photos on the internet of what we think a small group looks like. Mm. (laughs) And it's not that at all. People want to, uh, they want to know that they're welcome into your life as it really is. So that's for the host. Now for the leader, a lot of the same requirements really, that desire to help Mm -hmm. facilitate an environment where biblical community can flourish and to be better, becoming better at Mm -hmm. that Um, and again use the gifts you have but I still like I believe some people have some gifts that lend themselves to facilitating conversation to get people to say things that maybe they would say but would be helpful to hear it coming from someone Mm -hmm. else or maybe to hear from somebody who doesn't typically say a word in a setting Mm -hmm. like that and to help draw that out of them Mm -hmm. I think that's a gifting but it can also be a learned skill right practice. That's it. exactly, And a little coaching. Right. Right. Being open to some evaluation from time to time. Um, So what should a leader not do? Talk all the time. Exactly. A, A leader of a small group needs to learn to just be content listening to the group. Now, there's again a skill here to keep the conversation in a purposeful place. Right. Like It's okay to let it go somewhere you weren't planning for it to go as long as it is feeding a real need, Mm -hmm. answering a legitimate question. We've seen those challenging dynamics in groups over the years where you have that dominant personality that just takes it where they want to take it to their pet peeve of the week. It could be the leader too. It could, and sometimes it is, and that's Mm -hmm. really unhealthy. um, And that's where some training comes in. Mm -hmm. Um, Honestly... In 20 plus years of doing small groups in this church, we've rarely done a good job of training small group leaders. Mm -hmm. Um, Do we have anything in place or are we going to have anything in place? Well, since you mentioned it, no. (laughs) We don't, but we need to. Right. So I think it'd be great if you and I worked together at developing a process Craig's hearing this for the first time. Um, <laughs> to develop a process for people to grow in their leadership of mm-hmm. small groups. Sometimes, like I've always had this dream of attending various groups and just mm-hmm. popping in. I've never done it, and I think well, you're that's invited tonight. Huh, interesting, you should say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> wow, put on the spot. Um, <laughs> it's it's hard to grow if you're not evaluated. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, I like think we've all probably worked jobs where in in the handbook, the employee handbook, it says we're going to be evaluated every six months, every year, whatever, and then we never are. Well, how do you know where you are in your growth as an employee? Well, I think, and that's frustrating, and I, it's true um, in something like leading a group. You know, you can get feedback from your people, but sometimes you've created such a culture that's just like your group culture that they don't even know whether it's healthy or not, because it's just the thing we do now. Mm-hmm. So um, I do feel like part of being a small group, a, a good small group leader in our environment is communicating, um, and we, as group leaders, we need to communicate well with our people, not only in a meeting, but between meetings. Find the way to stay connected between meetings. And then for those of us who are providing leadership for leaders, we need to check in. We need some reporting. We need not just reporting from group leaders, but feedback from the pastor those reports come to me, so it's on me. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think part of it, too, is on us is resourcing our group leaders. And uh, something I want to talk with you about when we're done here today is uh, some ideas I have for really good resources. And again, we don't have a problem at our church putting money into um, some technology, putting money into music resources, putting money into uh, children's ministry because we say those things are important. But we've it's been a long time since we've invested any real money in small group resources, and we're about ready to do that. Okay. So I think resourcing our group leaders—like give them the best chance to succeed as a group leader—so that preparing a group lesson isn't a burden. It's not like, mm-hmm. oh man, I got to work 50 hours this week and prepare a lesson. Let's put tools in their hands that they can that they can use. So um, I think anybody who has a desire to be a part of this process of making disciples, mm-hmm. of bringing people along in their journey. And maybe people who are listening have benefited from the smaller group environment. See the value of it. We don't have to pitch it to them. We don't have to sell it to them. My challenge to that listener would be, let's get, go, let's get going on getting you into a place where you can lead a group. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a conversation with me. I would say you can have a conversation with Craig. We'll, we'll get you into that funnel to get you prepared and, and resourced. Um, and maybe you can be one of the first to go through this brand new process we haven't even created yet. <laughs> <laughs> Guinea pigs. Uh huh.
1: Yeah. So, life cycles of a healthy small group, How mm. does, what does that look like?
0: Boy, that's a really great question because I, I hear that two different ways. I hear, um, like, span of time, and I also hear, like, what are the characteristics of a group as it grows. So, I'm going to answer both. Okay. I've seen groups that have lasted for years and years that have um, maintained a good level of health. I've seen groups last only a few months disband and they were healthy experiences too. They didn't disband because they were dysfunctional. They disbanded because the purpose of the group, it, it was done. They did the thing they were going to do. Um, not unlike what you've done in the past with different groups over like whether it's 40 days of purpose or um, starting point where we did that and now we're, now we're done. Mm-hmm. We'll do something else in a few weeks and um, So it all depends on what the purpose of the group is. Uh, So if we're talking simply time frames, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer on that. Um, If the stated purpose of the group is to study a book of the Bible or study a topic or go through a a series like on a DVD or something like that, um, when the track ends, a group can disband and that's perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. Um, On to the next group experience, whatever that looks like. Some people thrive when there's variety in that, so that we should offer that. Mm -hmm. But if the goal is biblical community, that doesn't happen in eight weeks right. and you just let like I said it doesn't even happen in 10 months right? right? Mm-hmm. It takes a long-term commitment it's a significant time commitment um, and literally years and um, so a group that lasts uh, years there's definitely a life cycle mm-hmm. and it, it could actually go through healthy and unhealthy stages Because there's always that getting acquainted stage. It's just kind of like you've been with your group for just over a year Mm -hmm. and um, you have to do the get acquainted stage, right? right? And then there's the honeymoon stage where it's just like, hey, everybody's in love with this idea. Then there's the conflict stage. It's like something, not necessarily, it doesn't mean conflict within the group, it could, Mm -hmm. with interpersonal stuff. Or it could be that someone in your group is going through a challenging time. So um, what does a group do with that? How does a group handle that? So all of a sudden, it's not just sunshine and roses, it's real life moves in and we're going to figure out how we're going to do this as a group. And then I think, then on the other side of that, you finally achieve community. Mm-hmm. And community, doesn't just because you've achieved it, doesn't automatically like, stay there forever. You've got to keep working at it. Right. Sometimes it's coming back to the conflict mm-hmm. where, we start, where, we, where we experience about most community. So I think it's a really deep question and I think um, it's... Uh, that's probably a, an hour long conversation on its own. You know, we could share our experiences, but um, I don't think we should get too locked in on the idea of what a group looks like in terms of time mm-hmm. or even in terms of dynamic. So, as long as it's healthy. Yeah, and, and again, then we haven't really defined that, but that,
1: yeah, <laughs> we'll get there. Talk about not defining. There's a, a group of people, millennials, that I find hard to define myself. Yeah, yeah. But uh, where do you see them fitting in, and, and uh, what do you think they uh, are looking for in a small? Group?
0: Okay, um, this is yeah. I struggle with this too. Even though like we've talked a lot in leadership circles, you've been a part of about millennials in our church, and um, I hesitate, like you, to lump an entire generation of people into one word. alright mm-hmm. They're they're individual people. They share some characteristics, but mm-hmm. it's a very broad spectrum. So. I would just say in the, I'm going to answer it in the context, two contexts, in the life of our church and the Millennials that I know, okay? okay. So when I think about the life of our church and I think about the Millennials that I know, I would say that those Millennials can fit in anywhere they want to fit in, um, wherever they fit best. Um, I'm a big fan of multi-generational environments. I also see the value of stage-of-life groups, okay? So, um, so, I, how, yeah. I'm going to interrupt you there. Yeah. How do we um,
1: show that the millennials, um, how do we show the millennials that they're mm-hmm. important mm-hmm. to a multi-generational group mm-hmm. and that they're invited and they can feel mm-hmm. comfortable, not feeling
0: overwhelmed or out of place? Or, yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. I think uh, a couple things. Some of us who are a generation ahead of them could have. Yes, I know. (laughs) Right. Or two. My kids are millennials. Um, We could, which does make it easier for me to relate to millennials than people who are significantly older than me, two generations ahead of me, you know, or a generation ahead of me, two generations ahead of millennials, Mm because I have millennials have grown up in my home. So, it's, uh, and we have some really honest conversations about what's true of them Mm -hmm. and what's true of their peers, and what the perception is. So I think a couple things. I think we need to actually build like we have to build actual relationships with millennials. We have to spend time with them. And where at small groups. You can Yes, but I think you have to I I think in order to get them into that environment, you have to spend time with them one-on-one first. Okay. To cast a vision for the importance of that. And I think it's a matter of finding the key millennials within our church whose voice other Millennials will listen to. Okay, I think that's really important. The leaders. People who have natural leadership gifts, right. yes. So, and and typically that's who I, I tend to focus on mm-hmm. is those with leadership tendencies and uh, because I know they're gonna have influence with their peers within the church and without, but um, So I think my answer to the question where do millennials fit in is not necessarily an answer for small groups just specifically, but for the church in general. Um, I just think we need to bring millennials, intentionally bring millennials into conversations about the direction of our church, or the future of our church, the culture of our church. And we've been doing that. We started uh, last fall, we did a, a series. Um, uh, a weekend with uh, Carrie Newhouse's Newhouse series called Breaking 200. Mm-hmm. And uh, just it was about growth challenges. You were part of that. And we had millennials in that group around the table with us. And their voices as equal. You've been a, I've been a pastor of this church since day one. You're one of the original elders of this church. And I ha- we don't have to just hear ourselves talk all the time. And for them to realize we want to, we want to know what you're thinking right now. And, uh, and then not just, we're not going to dismiss it. We're not going to try to reinterpret it. We want to apply it. Mm-hmm. So um, so they need to have a voice right now in the life of our church. So we need to invite them into those environments. I'm getting ready to start um, another round of a leadership experience that I've been doing. It's just something I've been doing with a handful of people. And uh, again, we have some millennials that are invited to that. They need to realize that not only do we want them to have a voice, but they do have a voice. Mm-hmm. They need to get used to hearing it, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, we're not, and it's. we have to be really careful, I say we, those of us who are older than millennials, not to take a defensive posture. When something that we've been doing for a long time doesn't connect with them. When something we are like. Our tradition. I know, it's our own traditions. Mm-hmm. They're only 12 years old, but they're our tradition, or whatever, yeah. you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Um, and, and here's the other thing about it. some millennials want to bring back some of the tradition that we ditched a few years back. And I'm like, really? Mm -hmm. But it's true. Mm -hmm. So um, I I would love to see millennials in groups with people who are older and younger than them. Um, I'd love to see them in groups with their peers. Um, I would love to see them leading people older than them. I'm not a millennial, but when I was in my 20s, I was in places of leadership where people, I was leading people a generation or two generations older than me. And uh, it's possible. And I think as a church, it's healthy, we need to to do that. Um, Here's the thing I know for sure, and I'll be done on millennials, but the millennials in my life, here's what I know for sure about them, is that they crave real community. Yes, authentic. Yes, except they prefer that we not use the word authentic. You know what I mean? It's funny. I know it's semantics, right? But it, it's an overused word. We've applied it to things that aren't authentic. Mm. So it's not a buzzword, but <laughs> it's a word we use. Yeah, I know. I don't think they're that interested in Cult, uh, le- like, um, that's the word what I'm looking for. Carefully crafted programming. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're that interested in that. Slickness doesn't mm-hmm. appeal to them. Um, but they do want a deeper connection than what they experience on Sunday morning. And I think the deeper connection outside of Sunday morning feeds their engagement with Sunday morning. Okay. So. And if any millennials are listening on the podcast, I'd love to know if you, what you think. If I'm on track here or if I'm totally out in left field. Um, yeah. Let him know. Topic for the future so yes let me know. And now as a pastor
1: you're up front you're in, you're out in the community ministering and uh, but in your experience in small groups uh, you've pretty much always been the leader right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So how as a leader of a small group or how small groups ministered
0: to you? That's a really great question. yeah, I've, I've been doing life in small groups since the mid 90s in my youth ministry days. Mm-hmm. Alethe and I hosted, the night Ben was born, we had 24 teenagers in our mobile home. Yeah, my daughters were in that. I know, <laughs> I know. Um, so I don't know what, it, I hardly know what it is like as an adult to do life without a small group. Um, <clears throat> even in times when we've taken a break from small group like meetings, um, we've stayed connected to the people in our small group. Um, our best friends today are the people that we've done small group with in a lot of cases those are people who provide accountability for me they're the people who will speak truth to me whether I'm asking for it or not although I can ask for it and they'll tell me um, because they've gotten to know me well Mm -hmm. and in our case we've done group in our home so Alethea has been the host and I've been the leader Mm -hmm. because she creates such a welcoming environment a comfortable environment Um, We've gotten to know each other really well. Um, We've been able to celebrate the joys of life together. You know, our kids' successes, their graduations, their marriages, their whatever, and um, we've spent time in hospital waiting rooms together. Mm -hmm. Um, We've eaten lots of meals together in each other's homes and in restaurants. Mm -hmm. We listen to each other when our kids frustrate us. Um, And for a lot of us right now, a lot of us um, that we've done small group with together, we're navigating empty nest. This is, we're in a very similar stage of life. We have a few people ahead of us, a few people behind us, but um, that's kind of where we're at, it's a real deal. What we have with uh, the people who have done group with us is a real deal, so it feeds my soul. And I know pastors who say that they don't really have friends in their church. It's an old school way of thinking that I can't be close to the people that I pastor. I'm gonna tell you this, I would have no interest at all in being a pastor if I thought that was true for me and my church experience. Um, if I couldn't, if my closest friends weren't also the people I do church with, um, it wouldn't appeal to me at all. So, so for Leithia and I, I can speak for her. I think that our small group has given us the opportunity to cultivate those kinds of close friendships. Um, how would you answer that question? You've been leading group and a part of group for a lot of years too. Do You have a thought on that? Uh, I'm going to hold back on that one. No, of course you to are. We've got to. I'm end. making a note to come back to it. Okay. Yeah, to the very end. Okay.
1: I'm going to ask you a couple of tough ones here. Okay. So at the Faith Community, we began small groups at the very beginning. Yep. And over a period of time, they've kind of faded into the background. Yes. So uh, why do you think this happened? And with the new focus now that we're having on small groups, how can we keep that from happening at SCF?
0: So the first question was why? So, so yeah, from day one we, we launched small groups. And they were, because we were portable in those first eight years, in the first couple years we, um, there were weeks we didn't have access to our meeting space. And so those were the times when we realized how important small group was. Like we have to com- continue to be connected. Um, but we knew from the very beginning, in fact, our leadership structure was built around a small group network. Mm-hmm. If you remember, we met together regularly as small group leaders. We talked about our lessons. We talked like in advance and then we had some feedback from the week before. We were very intentional about it. So I think the why that kind of faded is, I'm going to say first of all, it's a failure of leadership. I'll own that. Um, I think we got distracted by a lot of other good things. Um, there are, you've been around church a long time too. Have you noticed there's a there are a ton of really good options available for the church to focus on, mm. <laughs> right? Oh yeah. Right? So, programming ideas and special projects and community service and all kinds of good things that, that can cause us to lose focus on what we say are the most important things. Mm-hmm. And I've said since day one at Faith Community, and some people are probably tired of me hearing it, that every time, I mean, I think, every time I, re- I repeat some of this, some people act like they're hearing it for the first time when I know I've been saying it to them for 10 or 15 or 20 years, and I'm like, this isn't new. I've been repeating I'm Keep repeating it. It's going to get through. Anyway, the word community in our church name, Faith Community Fellowship, means two things to us. We said this from the very, the very beginning. It means the community that we live in, that we are that we have established this church for to reach the community we live in, to serve the community we live in, to love them. The other meaning is how the, the Bible definition of community. And we've always described it as the New Testament one another's, right? It's, it's the Love one another, serve one another, uh, welcome one another, accept one another, submit to one another. All those are like 50 of them in the New Testament. Because um, that's how we define biblical community and we believe that's attractive. It's life-giving. It that has the potential to change us on the inside. Um, and I believe that when people experience it, it causes them to want others to experience it. Uh, to experience what we're experiencing. So, um, anyway, if our mission as a church is to make disciples, and it is. To make disciples of unbelieving, unchurched people, and if biblical community is the most effective tool to get them there, and if small groups, circles rather than rows, are the optimal environment for experiencing biblical community, then shouldn't we be a lot more focused? on that environment, that small group environment, and shouldn't we be a lot more focused on equipping leaders for small group environments, and shouldn't we be a lot more focused on accountability within our groups and celebrating what God's doing in the life of our groups? Craig's nodding his head. So. You can't hear me now. <laughs> <but that's laughs> you listen carefully. <laughs> so the question is, how do we, uh, the why is to, it, we weren't intentional enough about keeping it at the forefront. Okay. So I can list a thousand things that have caused us to shift focus, but that's the bottom line: is we we've let other things distract us. Um, but how to preserve it moving forward is I think that, that's even a it's a more difficult question, but it's also a more important question probably. Um, but it also um, the why informs the how. So um, I don't know. First of all how to preserve that priority. I have some ideas. I have a suggestion. Okay, let's hear your suggestion, see if it's in my bullet list. Um, As a pastor, you and
1: Bob pastors, you cannot be everywhere and do everything with everybody. Right. You've got to delegate or or, uh, a leadership has to kind of bubble up from the bottom that has the same vision and the same uh, passion for small groups as uh, we're looking for. And um, that, if we can find a leader <coughs> or a few leaders that want to take that role, then that is a necessary and a positive thing that would keep keep, the, if, keep this, this ball rolling, so to yes. speak. But yeah. passion is important because if you truly have a passion then uh, it's going to be things that's going to keep you up at night. Exactly. it's going to you. what do I do next? Where do I go? People are going to
0: get tired of hearing you talk about it, right? Right. If it's your passion. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I totally agree. That was actually the number one thing in my response to your question about how. Um, And it really falls under vision casting, which is kind of the the overarching Mm -hmm. We have to be more effective at vision casting, so that define vision. Okay, well, that's yeah, that's a really two and a half hour discussion. (laughs) No, I mean, really, it's about like it's constantly reminding people of why we're doing what we're doing and why it's important, why it matters. Why does this matter? Mm -hmm. Why are we doing this? Why is it? What's the purpose behind it? How is this feeding our mission? That to me, that's all vision casting is. It's reminding. We don't have to. We don't have to struggle with what our mission is. Jesus made that very clear. It's to make disciples how we do it is kind of dependent on how we're, our church is made up right and where our strengths exactly. lie, what our personality is what our church culture is so once we figure out what and we've decided that small groups is a critical part of fulfilling our god-given mission mm-hmm. to make disciples so how do we keep people informed of the importance of small groups i'm struggling i i'm struggling just with how to make announcements to the church that everybody gets mm-hmm. how does everybody know there's a tuesday night group we don't make the make an announcement at church on sunday on any given Sunday, we only have 65% of our congregation in church. Mm-hmm. And a, per, a portion of those are not even in the room, they're in other rooms serving. So, in order to, the, the math says, in order to, uh, in tracking attendance, in order for an announcement to be heard by every person in a Sunday morning setting, we need to make the same announcement four weeks in a row. That's, no, that just doesn't, that's not practical. And uh, so Sunday morning announcements aren't the answer, Facebook isn't the answer, you know why? I don't have Facebook. Because you're not on Facebook, uh, and I'm not <laughs> suggesting that you get on Facebook. I'm, I'm just, going to. no, um, <laughs> I get it. Um, email isn't the answer because some people still haven't adopted a 1990s technology that is email. So it's, but the answer is all of these things. So we have to do mm. all of them. And I think one of the things that we've demonstrated that is effective for communicating is creating video content. Okay. When we create video content and we show it in a Sunday morning service, maybe, sometimes we don't, mm-hmm. but we make it available online and it, we, through email, through Facebook, through every platform that we have, through our YouTube channel, people start sharing it. We, we did this with our, after our baptism earlier in the month, or was it oh, last December, in, in December. Um, hundreds of people saw those videos because people shared them like crazy. Mm-hmm. Last Sunday, we canceled church because of snow. It was the most popular post that I put up on Facebook in like five months, <laughs> okay? So, if, but when people see video content, they'll do the same thing. So we need to create some, we need to sit down and do some storytelling. But you're right on that it, I can't be the only champion of small groups. I can't even be the face of small groups. I, I, I'm i gonna keep, I'm passionate about it. I'm gonna keep talking about it. I'm gonna preach about it. I'm gonna tell stories about it. But um, it needs, It needs more faces and voices associated with it. So um, we need more more people to become more vocal about their their small group experience. I think that involves being willing to put a story in writing, being willing to sit down on camera and talk about their small group experience. Because when you talk about, here's what small group has been been for me. Here's what it's meant to me. Here's what it's done in my life. Um, There's no denying that that's a real deal. So I think that's contagious. and I think there are a lot of things we need to keep in front of the church on a regular basis. And this is the challenge, it really is. It's like, what's the mission of our church? We need to keep that in front of people. What's the strategy for accomplishing that mission? What's our philosophy behind ministry to infants and preschoolers and elementary kids and teenagers and what about young adults, the millennials we were talking about? What about, you know, what kind of thinking drives our Sunday experience? Who is our target on Sunday morning anyway? Um, why is that important? What, what about the corporate worship experience? Um, what our expectations of that what about what about the priority of money and financial Mm -hmm. management and volunteerism and leadership development and what about engagement in our community and there are lots of things we could do in our community what about global missions like how do you keep all of that in front of people on a consistent basis Mm -hmm. i haven't figured that out i'm honest that's not a rhetorical question i'm asking that question very seriously right now of people that can give me some ideas so um... This is why it's easy for any of those things to slide to the peripheral, because um, we, it's kind of like I don't know if it, it's not really a difference between the urgent and the important, because all everything I mentioned is important. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we just need to be um, creative mm-hmm. and try some new methods, keep adapting, keep having conversations. Um, I think it's one of the reasons we're doing this podcast, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, a long time ago,
1: and this is my last question for you. Okay. And I think it was in the why. I mean, that was many moons ago. You uh, gave a message about community groups, about the church being a two winged <clears throat> bird. And well, that uh, small group is one. Ex- one wing of that bird and as leadership and i'm including myself in that we've kind of let that uh, uh, wing of small groups atrophy a bit
0: yeah i would a- agree and
1: you mentioned that without that wing the church would be flying in circles not really going <clears throat> do you think that's been true yeah
0: absolutely first of all <clears throat> wow, <laughs> you pulled that analogy out of, I haven't, I went back into my, uh, when you told me you were going to talk about this, I went back into my records. Mm-hmm. I taught this a few times, over this, that analogy, mm-hmm. a few times in the first three or four years of our church. I know for a fact I taught it when we were meeting at the what used to be the Holiday Inn, mm-hmm. 1997 to 98. So, mm-hmm. Craig's got a memory, uh, and I definitely taught it again early in our Y days just as one well. Sunday I wasn't sleeping. <laughs> I, <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> and it's not original with me. Let me just—it was—I it, pulled it from a book uh, from a guy uh, called Bill Beckham. I've never read anything else by him. He wrote a book called The Second Reformation. It's about the priority of small group environments mm-hmm. in the church experience. So, I mean, I think, I, I love the analogy I always have that the church is a two-winged bird and and one wing is the large group gathering. That in our case, that's Sunday mornings. The other wing is the small group environment. And when we use both wings, the church can soar. But when one wing is stronger than the other, it determines the direction the church goes. Or worse, one wing doesn't work at all. And when one wing doesn't work at all, the bird doesn't get off the ground. Mm-hmm. The bird, if it happens to throw itself off of a perch, is just going to spiral to the ground. So... Um, the church was meant to soar. That was Jesus' dream for the church. So um, I think as leaders, as pastors, as elders, there's plenty of shared responsibility for letting one wing of our church experience become significantly weakened, okay? Um, And I think neglecting that wing, the priority of small groups and the biblical community experience there, uh, neglecting that has affected our ability to soar. So, um, like a lot of churches, we've seen our Sunday morning attendance plateau while the size of our congregation is actually growing. This is a weird phenomenon for me. This is new. We're a little bit behind the curve as far as national trends because this is a national trend. Um, What it means is that people who call faith community their church home are actually attending church on Sunday less often than they used to. So, while every week we have new people here that we don't know and as they become part of our church our congregation grows but our sunday morning attendance has really been pretty consistent for the last year so uh, it's a a national trend and i'm not saying because it's a national trend we should just accept it i think we can do better Mm -hmm. i think we need to give people a reason to be at church on sunday there's a there's value as much as we've been talking about small group Mm -hmm. there's value in the church coming together as a whole Um, so my concern is that when people who attend our church on a regular basis, like who are part, they are a real part of our congregation, they might, they might have their name on a team somewhere and they serve in an environment somewhere. Like they're, they're all in, like they're in. But they're only here once or twice a month? Um, it's way too easy for them to fall off the radar or to fall through the cracks, whatever analogy you wanna use. Um, and, and before you long, it's been a few months. Mm-hmm. And that shouldn't be acceptable to us as leaders. Um, so I'm convinced that the answer to get people who attend church less often to attend more often is actually to get them in small group. Because I think if those same people who attend church once or twice a month were meeting with their small group twice a month, I think we're onto something. Mm -hmm. Connection's going deeper. Mm -hmm. They're experiencing community, they're asking questions, their growth is... On a, on a faster pace, and on a, on a deeper level, and it, I believe it might even drive up Sunday church attendance. I think it has that potential. Um, I'm pretty sure it would drive up their level of involvement in church life. So, um, in the last um, two or three years, yeah, last two or three years, two years, we've been doing a little therapy mm-hmm. on this neglected part of our of our church, this one wing. Um, Small groups in homes for some reason have been a really hard sell Mm -hmm. to get people to commit to that, to offer the environment, to take the leadership, to actually show up in someone's home, that's been a real hard thing. But we found, like you found, that topical studies, um, or I shouldn't say studies, but small groups built around a particular topic for a set period of time, Mm -hmm. that meet right here in the church, Mm -hmm. it's working. Mm -hmm. And uh, it sounds to me like you've grown to the point where you might actually have two groups in one now right so it's probably it's time to start identifying some leadership you've we've talked about that yeah so yeah i'm sure you have (laughs) so we have um we have five small groups right now that that meet on a regular basis not all of them meet as regularly as we'd like as we'd like them to but um we've taken a break from our men's group and from our women's group um we think it's time to tap into some of the momentum that has come out of your tuesday night group experiment Mm -hmm. um so we're going to go there, and people are going to hear us talk about this a lot more over the next couple of months. Uh, they're going to see it in our communication, in um, our social media, and they might even hear it from the pulpit a time or two as we move forward. And I just want to challenge the listener, if you stayed with us this long. I want to challenge two groups of listeners, and then I don't know if you want to wrap it up or whatever, but I don't even know how long we've been going. But two groups of listeners, first of all, if you've been in, in a group of some kind in the past, in this church or in another church, uh, if it was a community group or a Bible study or a men's group or a women's group or whatever, and you had a bad experience or you had a less than fulfilling experience or you just didn't connect, whatever. I'm just gonna say something really insensitive here. So what? You probably had a bad haircut sometime. You kept getting your haircut. You probably had a bad experience at a restaurant, and I'm guessing you still go to restaurants. Maybe the same ones. Um, Bad things happen when you do life with people. Sometimes people are unhealthy. Sometimes we're the ones that are unhealthy. But we need to move on. We need to do whatever it takes to get into an intentional, relational, maybe even structured environment with other believers. So I just say, do it. Like, don't give up on this because your small group experience hasn't been everything you have wanted it to be, or because you tried to connect with some people at church and turned out they were weirdos, or whatever, whatever, you know. So, So. What happens though is when that's, a, that's our experience, we tend to uh, just keep all of our relationships with church people at a level where they can be maintained with some surface conversation over coffee in the lobby at church before the service starts. That's not a relationship, that's just being friendly. So if the Sunday morning environment, as great as it can be, we're gonna keep trying to make it even better, more meaningful, more memorable. But if that's the basis for your relationships with other Christians, you know, you know the names, you know where they live, you know where they work, you know what football team they like, You you can talk about the weather this week. That's all great. But don't count on those people to be the people who come through for you when you stumble, when the wheels start to come off. Don't expect them to be there when you need people to be there. Um, It's nothing personal. They just aren't really that invested. So if you've spent time in a small group, maybe it's time for you to step up and host a group. And I know your house has never been featured in the front page of a magazine and you're not the best housekeeper and all that. But if you think you could learn to make people feel welcome in your living room or around your kitchen table, maybe it's time for you to host a small group a couple times a month. Uh, Maybe if you spent time in a group long enough, it's time for you to step up and offer to lead a group. And again, I know as, I know you love your group experience, and you just get so much out of it and all that, but maybe it's time for you to facilitate that for the sake of someone else. Um, and I know you didn't do so well in the seminary, you flunked out of that, and you can't quote the whole New Testament, and you aren't sure, sorry, you aren't sure how you'd answer some people's questions, and what about that? Join the club. That's all of us. That isn't what this is about. So if you're teachable, if you're coachable, if you're humble, if you're vulnerable enough, to listen, to ask good questions, to learn to facilitate a discussion about things that really matter. If you think you can learn to put a DVD in your DVD player and press play and maybe read some questions from a book and and see if a discussion happens, uh, if you think you could do that, maybe it's time to lead a group or lead a group again. Uh, If you've never been in a group, you aren't really sure what we're talking about, this would be the second group I'm talking to, I guess. If you've never been in a group, this might be a little intimidating to you. We We acknowledge that, we get it. So let me just ask you this. What if we could create environments where real relationships with God and with each other could grow every time we gather? What if all kinds of people could gather in those environments to hear inspiring stories, to engage in conversation on a regular basis? What if we gathered with one another to discuss topics that are relevant to our lives, spend lots of times in some guided lots of time in some guided conversation, experience some spiritual aha moments that connect God to our everyday lives? What if So is it even possible for a church to create environments where people can fully expect to grow closer to someone every time they're there? Is it possible for church to be known as the place where we go to grow in our relationships? Because whether you recognize it or not, we all crave relationships, we all want to be known, we all want to contribute to the conversation, so here's the deal. Faith in God develops a lot like other relationships develop. It's not a strict linear process, it's not only time sensitive, It's like our human relationships. It's messy, filled with ups and downs, lots of forward and backwards, and God our Heavenly Father is real, He's alive, He's active in our world, He's ultimately relational, and faith comes through relationships. Jesus said, loving God and loving people. So I hope you'll give this some serious consideration. I hope you'll talk with your spouse, your family, because I I know you're busy. I get that we're all busy. We hardly have time to, how can we carve out some time? But I just want to challenge you as you listen here, to carve out of your calendar some time where you can make meaningful relational connection in a small group a priority uh, for you and your family. So, um, that's my challenge. We're gonna
1: end uh, with my story of the past couple of months. Um, First of all, uh, I want to quote something, and maybe not quote, but. paraphrase something that I heard from Rabbi Zacharias and uh, he uh, was talking about uh, the ability to listen to the voice of God and he said that there was three things that were needed in your life to be able to consistently uh, be able to recognize the voice of God in your life and the first one is to get in His Word, to study. Without that intimate knowledge of, of uh, Christ and God, um, you don't know if that still small voice is the Holy Spirit or yesterday's lunch, Yeah. and uh, so that's extremely important. The second point he made was that you must live by the principles that you've been studying in that Word. Uh, That way God knows that you're serious and He will talk to you and He will uh, send His little uh, still small voice. But the third point He made uh, relates to small groups and that would be to surround yourselves with like-minded people who are also seeking the voice of God in their lives and uh, are all heading towards that goal. And now for uh, uh, our my personal story with uh, small groups in the community that's uh, within that. Uh, I'm gonna try to do this without uh, too late breaking up. Um, The first Tuesday in December, my mother or my mother, my wife um, always (coughs) headed out to uh, visit her mother uh, in Northeast Harbor. bring her groceries and things like that Uh, and uh, when she opened up uh, the side door to the garage she found her laying on the on the floor uh, dead and uh, about three or four hours later we got her off to the uh, funeral home and uh, when we got home my wife was complaining about uh, chest pains and um, she quickly went into the bathroom and started uh, uh, throwing up, nauseated um, and immediately I said look we're going to the hospital. Um, she uh, had what's called a broken heart syndrome. And uh, she was only, according to the echocardiogram, she was only only, uh, pumping 10% of the blood through her system that her heart was uh, not performing. And uh, (coughs) did a little research and it was gonna be three months before she would be, uh, the average time before she would be completely recovered uh, physically from this. And uh, Tuesday nights obviously are the nights that uh, we have our group, so I got a hold of a couple of people from the group to spread the word that the uh, uh, group was not going to happen that night. And uh, if I wasn't going to be there, I contacted. Uh, some of the uh, a couple in our group if they would uh, take over the the reins of, of leadership and they graciously accepted and i got all kinds of uh... texts and emails asking um, what they could do for me uh, and uh... that uh, their prayers were with us and uh... this kind of um, there was really nothing physically that they could do. But uh, this kind of uh, relates to a, um, a, a scene that, uh, that I've watched on uh, YouTube uh, from the 1992 Barcelona uh, Olympics uh, during the 400-meter track meet, a young man named Derek Redman, who was uh, in line to, to get a gold medal from uh, that, uh, from that event. Uh, Everything started out all right. He had gone, oh, probably about halfway around the track and uh, he pulled up because his hamstring, his hamstring popped. And you could see out of the stands this man come running down and pushing security out of the way to help his son up. Um, And the text (coughs) from the uh, son was, you don't have to do this. And the father said, we're gonna finish this together. Prayers from the people of my small group that had a vested interest in me hmm. and a vested interest in my wife and a vested, and I had a vested, and we had a vested interest hmm. in them. Their prayers, oh, what has helped us along the way? their prayers or what's gonna help us to go across across that finish line. I can't emphasize more than anything just how important that small group was to us to get us at this point in our lives.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, thank you for listening. Hmm. Well, I, um, I want to say thank you to you for taking the initiative a year or so ago. This wasn't something we anybody asked you to do. You just saw a need for an environment where community could f- flourish. You'd seen the benefit of it in the past. You'd experienced it. you have been a part of it. And you're like, let's just see what happens, see if anybody shows up. And people have not just shown up, I mean, they've shown up. Mm -hmm. They're they're in. Mm -hmm. Um, Their lives are being enriched. And this is is an Old Testament principle from Ecclesiastes, where the writer of Ecclesiastes says two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. He says if either of them falls down, one can help the other up. Here it is. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Yeah. Craig and I are having a ball session in the tech room. Um, I can't tell you, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've seen people when the wheels fall off. It can be a financial reversal, it can be something in their marriage, their kids, a health thing, mm. a loss of a loved one, or any combination of those things. And when they don't have people that they're significantly connected to, there is a real sense that you're doing this alone. Or you're doing it with people, maybe people who just feel pity for you. Mm. Right? Yeah. It's different when people are, have a vested interest in you. Right. They want what's best for you and they're there. You know they're there. So um, to me it's one of the most compelling arguments mm. to get into a small group right now when things are good. You know? Right. Um, yeah. So, wow. That's all we're going to talk about today, I think. <laughs> we're we're going uh, to explore where this takes us next, you're going to hear more about it over the next few weeks, um, we're going to set a date for um, kind of an informational slash training session for current and prospective group leaders um, and we'd love for you to come join us. Um, there's no obligation. You know moving forward but we want you to come and explore the, the, what what role you might play in a, in a group setting uh, if you're not in a group come talk to me talk to Craig we'll plug you in somewhere and get you we'll point you in the right direction um, yeah so like when I said in one of those first questions my, my vision is hundred percent engagement in small groups I really mean that and this is what we want for people so thank you Craig for initiating this conversation for the thought you put into it for being so vulnerable and Sharing your story, and um, would you close this in a word of prayer? Yeah, I would. Yeah, Heavenly Father, we're just grateful for the opportunity to serve you in a way that's really, really significant. Thank you that you choose to use us, um, even though we, you know, we don't have it all together. We aren't the most credentialed. We don't have the pedigree. Uh, that's not what you. Those aren't the requirements that you've ever placed on us. You just asked us to respond to a call in your life. So God, I pray that where your Holy Spirit is prompting a listener, um, I pray that we'd each respond accordingly. I pray that we would um, step forward and whether it means to get involved in a group as, a, as just as a participant in a group for the very first time, or the first time in a long time, or to give it another shot. For those of us who've been in groups to see the value of it, I pray that we'd, um, uh, again, just where you're prompting us that we would uh, take some new steps. Um, for those of us who lead in the church, for pastors and elders, I pray that you'd uh, give us some clarity and to find some creative ways to keep these uh, really important issues and this, the value of small groups and our philosophy of how our lives are impacted, to keep that in front of the church. Do it in a way that's effective. We don't want to be distracted by good things. We want to be focused on the things that you've called us to. Thank you for the opportunity to share this story um, with our church. We look forward to what you have in store for us in the days and weeks ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all.